taste and chilla hop, chilla hey, chilla hop, sensa, and all that. Oh dear, welcome to the Flick Lab. I'm Kari, he's Henrik. I'm a Finnish media personality working in Poland because our podcast is not making us enough cash. Uh, my co-host is still riding uh, the early wave of Finnish podcast hosting, especially in English. That's my experience also when it comes to Finnish podcasting. Not not surprising, of course, seeing how for Finns English is still a bit harder language, especially on pronunciation side. Yeah, it's 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 not a bad idea using your your own language for podcasting instead of our little diddly do here. But let's try anyway. So why did we choose this film? I guess we picked this one because you are somehow desperately trying to relate to that lost childhood that you never had. You try to relive it now as an adult. I was... That is my take. Yeah, that would be the funny thing, but I wasn't like huge on Pippi Longstrump in my childhood. Well, you are the one who actually pushed this film. I, I was the one who was moaning and groaning throughout the entire process and being like, do we do we really have to? Do we really have to go through people long stocking? Yeah, because when I was uh, 11 years old, those unbelievable pannings and camera movements just blew me away. So we're watching this purely for technical reasons, as you will see in the mind-blowing back projections and miniature work. Well, I'm just kidding, of course. But uh, the technology of the time was what it was, and this is done in the early 70s, as early as 1970. So, and we're also in the Swedish market. So, understandably, you cannot expect miracles from the production. Are, are, are you saying that there is there is something in Swedish filmmaking that just, you know, makes it impossible to make a good film? <laughs> I'm stunned, is the word I'm looking for. That will give you no indication in any direction whatsoever. Yeah, I, I can relate to the feeling when it comes to Swedish cinema. No, I, I'm also stunned that they actually managed to figure out how to use a camera. <laughs> is this going to be a Swedish busting episode? That That's, well, that's, you, that's kind you, of the you, Finnish you, cliches. That, that, that is one of the strongest Finnish cliches. Finns <laughs> and Swedes always have to be on each other's throats. You, can't, you just can't help it. Except if uh, the ice hockey is anything to go with. It looks like the sad and pathetic truth is that Finns think that Finns and Swedish people are always headbutting, but it's actually just Finnish people crying out loud about Swedish people because they are so jealous and Swedish people couldn't care less. Well, you know, there, were, there has been those couple of times when Finns have actually won the cups and... Granted, those are few and far between, but when those events have happened, there has been the also the you know the tabloid newspapers on the Swedish side, who have been a sight to behold on those times. Yeah, although what I mean is that the Swedish population in general, this is coming from a family tree source all the way from Sweden, like a distant relative lives there and says that the Swedish people know almost next to nothing about Finland. And there is not such rivalry going on as we attribute to Finland and Sweden. I actually have the opposite experience on this matter. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I, I can't say is the rivalry on the Swedish side 
as high or as strong as it is in Finland, but I've really come across, you know, also the rival or hostile attitudes from the Swedish side. From my experience, I, I would say that, you know, both countries are kind of a equally guilty or when, when it comes to, you know, the famous Finnish-Swedish rivalry. Yeah, it's just the population of Stockholm trying to keep the drunken Finnish people away. In the meantime, nobody from Stockholm ports the ship to Helsinki. They don't know where it is on the map. Yeah, that, but but, but that, that also kind of is exactly playing on that rivalry once again. The drunken <laughs> Finnish, which did happen, granted, of course, but was it in 60s or 40s when when the, you know, the drunken Finnish boom was all time high? Maybe we could just use this episode to talk about the rivalry. What, what's the best thing that you like about Sweden? I like the attitude. It's it's kind of a much more lighter, much more happier. I, I, I don't know how much of it that is true and how much it is simply, you know, the Swedes putting on a good mask and good uh, happy face out of mm. a force of habit. But every time I, I visit Sweden, I do get this kind of a lighter atmosphere. It kind of a, it feels like everyone is... A bit more at ease, a bit more uh, smiles, a bit more. And something that might, of course, affect on this matter is the Swedish language, which has very kind of a high and low knowns in its vocabulary, which kind of a gives you this almost song-like vibe when it's spoken out loud. Which, of, of course, kind of a... When you contrast it to, for example, Finnish, which is much harder language, much harder R's, for example, it leads into the fact that when the Swedish start to curse, it's almost impossible to actually take it so seriously. Fui fan is not exactly the same as... <laughs> there is actually something that Pippi says throughout this film, and it's kind of a modified version of this fun. It doesn't go there. It, I think we will find out during this movie. But I thought it was funny. It was like fa and then it continues with something else. Yeah, I got that also. Yeah. Which, yeah, I, I was originally I was going to upload the film <laughs> for actually ha- having a child actor using curse words, but th- then when you listen to it a bit more carefully, you realize that yeah, no applauses needed. What I like about Swedish people is pretty much the same thing that you mentioned, that I believe they are kind of softer towards each other, not as serious and de- maybe as depressed as Finnish people, at least the way that the general output is that I see from them. Also, there was an article that I read a couple of years ago, was it in the local.se website, where this columnist said that he or she was really sad that in the public transportation in Stockholm nobody talks to each other and the bus driver says nothing and everybody seems to be pissed and and it's everything in that kind of resonated and I was like okay sounds pretty much like home yep maybe we are not that different after all but of course since this is a essentially this still is a Finnish podcast and as such, we can't let the rivalry go, or, you know, be, be without taking our part. So, in that sense, I must omit all the good things I just said about Sweden and 
just comment that the best thing about Swedes is that they stay on their own side. The best thing about Sweden is that they are the spiritual brothers of people living in Turku. So, so, <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, 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 unlike most Finns, I actually have no trouble with Turku people from any of my experiences. So... We, I, I still believe that we should somehow find a way to separate Turku from rest of Finland. <laughs> yeah, and name it the, the more prestigious Finland. The LARPing Finland would be my, my choice of words for Turku. The Finland that drops consonants. Yeah, well, at, at least, you know, at, at least Swedes are not, not from Turku. <laughs> so th- there's that much. <laughs> okay, yeah. I just thought that whenever I think of Sweden and films, like the immediate thought in my head is Pippilangstrump, because it's Swedish cultural heritage. So why else would it be in this podcast? Along with Emil and Carlson on the roof, both credited for Astrid Lindgren. Who could ever forget these classics or the fact that one woman indeed wrote them all? Have you seen yeah. the Carlson on the Roof cartoon? I've seen it a long, 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 long time ago. Wasn't there also a live-action film adaptation which was made, or live-action TV series which was made around the same time as they made, you know, people Longstocking and Emil? Quite possible. At least there is the live-action of Emil that everybody knows in Finland, because God knows that the teachers in the Swedish lessons, always had a big bunch of Emil VHS tapes, and there were these VHS days when we would watch this, and it was mandatory watching. I'm pretty sure Pippi Longstrump also surfaced there a couple of times, but I think I saw it mostly at home, actually, because my mother famously is a big Longstrump fan, and she guided us in the right direction, Henrik, here, that... Yeah. See, I, I told you this is some some kind of a childhood nonsense that we are now suffering through. <laughs> well, the roots are always there. And she said that this is the best film adaptation of Bippi Longstrump. To give it simply, there is the original TV series. And then there is an American release of said TV series, but made into a movie format. So, cut from those episodes... And dubbed in English. Yeah, there are two of those cut from the TV series films. Yes. Yeah, the first one being Pippi Longstocking and the second one being Pippi Longstocking on board. Absolutely. And after this, there was these actual films. There are two of these. Yeah, the Pippi in the South Seas and Pippi on the Run. Yeah. So based on the Pippi Longstocking books... And it's a book written by the extremely famous children's stories writer Astrid Lindgren. Uh, She was, or indeed is, the world's fourth most translated children's books writer in the world, Hendrik, right after the heavyweights such as Enid Blyton and others. If you don't know Lindgren for Pippi, you probably know her for the Carlson on the Roof or Emil of Lönneberia. And the name... Pippi came from her daughter. She wanted stories to be told of Pippi, and Astrid came up with the stories based on Pippi. 
that she would tell to her daughter when she was sick with pneumonia. Yeah, as the story goes, Lindgren originally simply went free flow and improvised the stories as they were on that spot. And later on wrote the books. Indeed, like you said, three years later when Astrid herself was sick, she put together the first manuscript for the book. It was turned down at the publisher, but later when she gained fame as a writer more, she again came to other publishers and they accepted Pippi, but also requested some modifications to turn down the what they perceived as uh, excessive violence and they wanted to simplify the language a bit. So trilogy sounds fancy here, but it was three full novels published from 1945 to 1948. Unbeknownst to me, Pippi already debuted on film back in 1949. This one was directed by Per Gunval, and the Pippi actor was actually a Finnish-born Swedish actress, Henrik. She was born in Helsinki and played Pippi at age 26, the oldest Pippi actress. Also amazingly, in 71, Hayao Miyazaki uh, with Isao Takahata wanted to create a Pippi anime. After a meeting with Lindgren, however, Lindgren then pulled the plug <laughs> and denied them the right to complete the anime. Any thoughts on this? Well, I actually would be very interested to hear why Lindgren pulled the plug on the anime. I do know that back in those days, the anime adaptations had a bit of a bad name in Scandinavia, because there there had been some Scandinavian books. There, there were the instances where the Scandinavian children's books were transformed into animes, and apparently some of these translations didn't go as smoothly as possible. There were things like where the original authors felt that the sexuality of the characters were overemphasized, or, for example, there were a few short clips which were considered to be drawn nudity. And, of course, you know, this kind of created the reputation for anime in the children book author circles that if you give the rights, it becomes some kind of a bastardization of your work. And that could, of course, affect on Lindgren's attitudes towards Miyazaki and him adapting Pippi stories, but I can't vouch for that. Just making a theory of something what might have contributed, this could be simply a cultural effect where the Japanese adaptationists kind of simply took a note on different points of the story and highlighted different points on the stories that the original author had in mind when he or she wrote the books. I mean, to keep on hamping these anime adaptations, I've heard the legend, never seen the episodes, but heard the legend that, for example, the first anime series about the Moomin books was almost purely drinking and fighting. Mm. So the the anime adaptation that we, for example, were exposed as kids in Finland, the TV series which we all know, that was, was it the second or third anime adaptation that was made from Tuve Chanson's books? Well, be it as it may, indeed, Astrid Lindgren pulled the plug on Miyazaki himself. Hayao Miyazaki, the genius behind the anime, spirited away, and my neighbor Totoro, to mention a few. 
Not good enough for Swedish children's book author. Nope. There was even a USSR film adaptation of uh, Peppi Dlinichudok or something like this in 1984. Not only that, there's even American version, which I was completely oblivious about. The New Adventures of Pippi Longstocking, which is not a sequel to anything, it's just a standalone film. And uh, I had never even known its, of its existence, and there's even more. Uh, the most well-known story, however, or the adaptation, is the 1969 TV series, of course, from Sweden, starring Inger Nilsson as Pippi. Uh, Lindgren herself was dissatisfied with the 49 version, so she wrote this TV series herself, or at least gave some kind of a manuscript. Uh, this TV series was then re-edited and dubbed in English, as mentioned, for release in the US, and simply called Pippi Longstocking. So yeah, go figure this shit out. It caused a lot of confusion here. The, the adaptation history of Pippi Longstocking is a confessable nightmare, to be completely honest. Yeah, the most logical way to go would have been go to IMDb and search for Pippi Longstocking and then you see Pippi Longstocking from 1969 and okay, this is the first film, first feature film, but it's not quite that simple. You actually cannot find that version in the original language Swedish and you cannot find it in the European markets. No, when it comes to those first two films which were cobbled together from the episodes of the TV series, it appears that when it comes to Scandinavia and Northern Territories, those films are completely omitted from basically all history. Nobody sells them, nobody shows them, everybody just stays quiet about them. I I myself went through both the Finnish and Swedish TV broadcasting stations. Basically, the entire selection of both Finnish and Swedish TV stations, the entire selection, and... I didn't manage to find any mentioning of the two cut films, or the first two films. Yeah, and you were browsing the libraries there, and even you were really confused about the titles that you see in the selections. And when you finally got the package, then you realized that it's uh, like a collection of two films, the actual films. Yeah, uh, yeah, my local library went to the world's end to make sure that you will never actually hear about the made-from-TV series film adaptations. Because there, there was, from their collections, you can find the original TV series, all six parts. You, you can find both of the movies, Pippi on the Seven Seas and Pippi on the Run. Those you can find as a single films, and then you can find Astrid Lindgren's Pippi Longstocking. That was the version I actually got from them, and... Well, it turned out it was just a combination box of Pippi on the Seven Seas and Pippi on the Run. Why is it, Henrik, that in so many instances there are some children's videos, films, movies, cartoons that are packaged in the most, shall I say, idiotic way? You look at DuckTales and then you see that it's like a package and it gives you every inclination to believe that this is going to be the entire series, but no, it's just some randomly selected uh, 10 episodes or whatever the case was. Then you have also the Moomins. It's completely impossible to find like all the 50 or however 
100 episodes even of the original series. You just have some randomly packed episodes from here and there and I don't think even the order is correct. I mean, it's it's a bloody nightmare. Yeah, I, I don't know why that is, because I've been cursing with the exact same effect myself. The yeah. first theory that comes to mind would, of course, be that when those versions, when those releases were made, back in the day when we were still kids, no one from the distribution side ever considered that a grown-up would be interested about these series, about these stories, and would actually want to collect the whole series. So Wrong. They were made simply in the mindset that we gobbled together some tapes to sell to the kids, and, well, as, as a kid, you don't really even understand how many episodes there were in total, and you don't understand, for example, collecting the entire run of Moomin, or the entire, entire run of Baby Longstocking, or dark tales. You simply, you know, you are simply interested in the fact that you have you have some tapes that have dark tales or moving in them, and you are completely fine when your parents buy you those. I I, I would say that you know the interest in collecting series like moving and dark tales has been peaked with our generation now that we are grown ups and we wanna kind of visit those TV series from our childhood. So now we are creating the market for these complete collections of these series. When I wanted to find uh, this might be a series that is not very well known around the world, but certainly in Finland and in Europe this is probably well known. I'm not sure what is the original title, but it's around the world in 80 days or Phileas Fogg uh, Traveling around the world in 80 days or something like that. Yeah, the, the one with the lion, however. Uh, however, the one with the lion. I think that was my favorite cartoon as, as a kid. And it was actually a really good one. It has... It was? Yeah. It has this kind of a sense of an adventure that probably stayed with me forever. And maybe was part in launching my interest in crazy traveling. And anyway, the same thing here. You cannot find this full collection on... DVD. So, yeah. what are you gonna do? You, you just go and whoever wants it is going to illegally download it. That's the fact, because you cannot get it anywhere else. Th- that is exactly the reason why pirating is so wrong, because it's the only way to actually get your hands on these old classics, which fucking absolutely no one is interested in distributing to you in a DVD or Blu-ray format. Exactly. And, yeah, could be sometimes it's uh, very expensive. But for the love of God... Like, all your distribution houses, wake the fuck up. There's so many great films, also from Asia, that we will never fucking watch, because you're too lazy to get on with it. Alright, with these wonderful words. So yeah, there are the novels. Pippi Longstocking, 1945. Then Pippi Goes On Board, from 1946. And Pippi in the South Seas completes the trilogy in 1948. There's some interesting criticism that appeared after the publishing of the first one. For example, John Landquist, his criticism in a 46 piece with the title Bad and Prize Winning. And he said that the book was badly done, harmful to children, and that Pippi herself was mentally disturbed. <clears throat> you know, that's a tricky one. I don't think she is mentally disturbed, but she has an extremely interesting situation where... She manages to live without parents, and with that in mind, and her superpowers in mind, uh, I wouldn't even 
try to put this in a very much a real life context. I, on the other hand, can very much side with the criticism here. I would say that she has a very wide wide capacity of of imagination. I don't know how that is bad. Well, it it does leave constantly into situations which actually would be extremely dangerous, if not even lethal, to basically anyone else except the characters on the Pippi Longstocking stories. That's kind of killing the fun, isn't it? Like this, this film is this series is all about having fun. It's not grounded in any kind of reality this time. Well, it kinda is. I, I mean, uh, well, not not this film in particular because it kind of throws away the realism very quickly. But the setting of Pippi Longstocking still kind of is grounded in reality in the sense that there is the household of Tommy and Annikas, which is very realistic. Like, that, that is a real-life household, and they are situated right next to Pippi Longstocking, who, on the other hand, is an embodiment of this fantastic fist fulfillment. I thought that these books were a great way for people who have basically ordinary lives to kind of have fun with it and travel with Pippi and be strong with Pippi, which they cannot do or hear these great stories. Of course, it's total fantasy, but I don't think it would be harmful for a kid. Well, that, that's the thing with basically all the fantasy. The fantasy kind of requires from the reader or whoever experiences the fantasy to realize that this right here is fantasy and it is not something that you can replicate to the real world. Indeed. Well, look at DuckTales, movements around the world in 80 days. You look at those and you would grow up completely messed up if that would be a problem. You would yeah, well, start shooting people and killing people and uh, putting poison in their foods, blowing up ships, using uh, knives... Hmm and believing in trolls and witches. And those are all basically examples that you can actually find even in today's societies. You simply have to find the niche enough group. And and what? They will start... They will come to your school and start shooting at witches. Well, not necessarily do that. But you can find the, uh, the actual groups that still today try to, for example, practice witchcraft. Whether or not it works is a completely different discussion. I'm, I'm not saying that it has any actual effect, but there still are, you know, grown-ups trying to pull that stuff off. And that that belief does come from something. I don't, I'm not saying it automatically comes from the children's fiction or fiction in general, but we mm. do have individuals that even today can hold up those beliefs. And with that, you know, I would say that we can't completely disregard, you know, the responsibility from the reader or the watcher of DuckTales or, you know, basically any, anyone else who doubles with fantasy to actually be sentient and be constantly aware that what you are exposing yourself now is fantasy and you can't copy it to the real life. At least if you start watching James Bond films when you're five. That was a big inf big influence for my childhood plays that we had with friends. We would run around the friend's yard and pretend that I'm James Bond and they are the baddies and then they would shoot me the James Bond and I would die and roll down the hill, stuff like that. So yeah, there are valid questions 
as there are also valid questions. Why do we read Donald Duck when we are four or five? And there are these animal characters, these, yeah, once again, anthropomorphic characters. You would think that you would grow up kind of screwed up, or why, why is it made like this? I mean, animals are cute, but it's confusing that you're mixing these animals, and then the animals are interacting with other animals who are not anthropomorphic, and <laughs> it's so chaotic sometimes. I, I don't know, I mean, that that's kind of a, is, uh, the sentient animal is something that relates back to the old folk tales. Basically, you can, you can track down the sentient animal, the anamorphic animal, pretty much, I, I would say, as far as the modern storytelling can be traced back to. There, there are old Russian folk tales relating back to, I, I don't even remember how many decades or centuries which have sentient animals. You, you can find it in the old Greek myths. When it comes to storytelling, when it comes to myths, when it comes to when it comes to tales, I, I guess humanity has basically always been spicing them up with themes like anamorphic animals or sentient animals and animals that interact with other animals, even though it wouldn't make any sense, like predators interacting peacefully with omnivores and also animals interacting with humans. It, it's, it is something that we have been carrying with us in the storytelling traditions from the day one. Yeah, very curious thing. There's also some racism claims that have been made towards people Longstrump or Longstocking, whichever way. <laughs> you, you, you mean the fact that Pippi's father is the king in some African country and, and those small moments when... Pippi is the squinty-eyed Chinaman. Precisely. Or the king of the Negroes, as it goes. Which yeah, it, king of the Negroes. Which, of course, can be easily seen as offensive nowadays. And they also wanted to cut these scenes, the king of the Negroes part. And the second eliminated part was Pippi slanting her eyes in the Chinese uh, pretending scene. Although singing like a Chinese or pretending to sing like a Chinese was, was kept there. But these changes then received a huge backlash, like 25,000 Swedish readers voted on the wonderful deepest levels of hells in Facebook, and 81% said that this is ridiculous and shouldn't be done. Well, that's kind of a surprising attitude from Swedes. I would have believed that the poll would have been exactly the other way around. They would have actually... <laughs> Accepted and agreed with these cuts. Yeah, I kind of had the same thought that it could be like a lower support to get the changes back. But yeah, this is an interesting question. Should they be kept there or should they not be kept there? My answer is simple. They should be kept there because history is what it is. You cannot rewrite it. If you want to determine that these are racist aspects, then you put Pippi Longstrump after 10 p.m. in the Swedish television, and that's it. Yeah, I'm kind of uh, on, on the same page with you when it comes to pre-editing your past. Yeah. Because th this is something that we deal also in Finland. For example, Pekka and Patkas Negros, which has been taken down, and the, uh, these days is no longer in circulation, as far as I've understood. 
might be some DVD copy somewhere, but it is not typically shown anywhere. And for example, the old Aziz the Combat Fighter sketches from the comedy group Kummeri, which also kind of requested that the Finnish Broadcasting Network would take them down and would no longer showcase them with their other body of work. It is a topic that we too in Finland deal with today. The question, at what point does our past entertainment, which was made in in less knowledgeable times, becomes racist in the sense that you kind of have to either take them out of distribution, or then, you know, re-edit them and cut them in the way that they are less offensive. I just got the brightest idea, Henrik. You know what I'm thinking? That we should cover Pekka and Patkas Negroes. Obviously. Yeah, but but I also, I, I kind of feel that maybe we should not try to bury them under the rock. I mean, o- obviously no. they are problematic today. And obviously they can be offensive when seen today's eyes, but and th- they may not be something that we actually need to be proud of anymore. But they are still They are still part of our nation's history. They are still part of something which we did and which we okayed back in the day. And I I think that there is a merit to actually remembering and acknowledging and keeping them in the open so that you can still today, you can look back on those works and you can see exactly from what point we have come to the point we are today. And I, I kind of fear that this aggressive recutting, this aggressive editing and taking things out of distribution simply because in today's mindset they they are racist and they are not okay. It kind of, a, there, I, I see there a danger that it can lead into a situation where we as a nation allow ourselves to forget the more troubling aspects of, our, for example, our film culture. And this more racist body of works where we no longer remember the t- times when when we did films like Pekka and Patka as Negroes. And forgetting that might be something that could be even harmful. Indeed. And all this editing of children's books or mandatory reading, for example. There are plenty of examples of this censor- censorship of our past and... It's not the answer. Perhaps maybe surprisingly, one of Lindgren's grandchildren, Niels Newman, was defending these changes to Pippi because if they would not be there, they might dilute Pippi's message of female empowerment. Not sure if Astrid Lindgren exactly had the female empowerment in mind when she was writing this. I mean, I I don't think she put like tons of symbolism into these books when she was doing them. That's the idea that I got from her interviews. All right, the writers are Fred Ladd, an American TV and film writer and producer. He was the first to colorize some black and white Looney Tunes in the 60s. Then we have Astrid Lindgren with her manuscript providing information for this film. And then we have the director. Yeah, so Ola Hellaboom is most notable for adapting Lindgren's works. He is someone who, like said, made the Pippi series, made also the two films. He adapted my 
Brother Lionheart, also the Emil, and Gunnar on the Roof were something that he made. Mostly his filmography is, is precisely that, it's adaptations and TV series from Linkred's stories. There is the 1959 more hard-edge crime-drama uh, film Hurjat or Raggare in its original title. Roughly it would, I guess, translate into Greasers, perhaps. Like, like that could be the most, the closest one. But a- anyway, basically follows a young Greaser named Rofe who kidnaps his girlfriend. And, well, the story that ensues from there. But, yeah, like, like I said, basically Olle is an adaptation of Linkard's work. I, I would say the most notable that there is for when it comes to Astrid Linkard's stories. And in, in the acting side, well, we of course have the titular Pippi, Inger Nilsson, who is the most famous actor for the character of Pippi. Yeah, best known for Pippi, Pippi and Pippi. Yeah, precisely, you know, million times Pippi. And after that, from nothing that spectacular, actually. Well, she has lately done the TV series The Inspector and the Sea. It's kind of like a German-Swedish collaboration crime series. Der Kommissar und das Meer. Okay, that, that one I've missed completely. Yeah, she's one of the staples in the series. Okay. Because I I do know that, unfortunately for Nilsson, she never was fully able to escape the character of Pippi. Like, she kind of had to carry the character with her throughout her life. Apparently, as you pointed out, until now, un- until the Commissar and the Sea. Which is kind of funny, considering how hard it is to figure out which version of the movie is which, and even just getting your hands on these films. <laughs> yeah, it, it, see, seeing how how long ago the films were, and seeing how young she was wh- when she played the character of Pippi, you would kind of think that, that since Pippi rose to prominence with her, she kind of, on the later age, she would be able to use Pippi as a stepping block to transform into more serious drama or, you know, other bigger film projects or bigger TV roles on a later age. But apparently for her, the, she never managed to make the transformation. After Pippi had had her highlights and the Pippi days were over, she still would be known as the girl who pe- played the character of Pippi and, and that really did harm her acting career. It also hurt the acting career of Maria Persson. Yeah. Also has done nothing else than the Pippi filmography, basically. Persson did want to continue as an actress and went to a theater school. But then... Uh, apparently realized that she was still often associated with the role of Anikon. Left that world and became a nurse, met a Spanish guy and moved to Mallorca. And there she has worked until now, as far as we know, in a bar and caretaking business. A shared fate with also with Per Sundberg, who plays Tommy, 
in the Pippi stories. Yeah, he seems to be, he seems to have done absolutely nothing after Pippi. Yeah, no, after Pippi on the run, it is a long straight line of absolutely nothing. At age 16, he left filming and started studying. We got the information that in 2009, he was the Scandinavian head of some company that organized PR campaigns. Then we have Beppe Wollegers. Uh, he's a Swedish, or was a Swedish writer, poet, translator, lyricist, actor, entertainer, artist, known for his beard. And he was a writer, wrote eight poetry collections, five prose books, seven children's books. The rumor has it that he wrote over a thousand song lyrics. And the family is full of artists. Peppe Volker's son is Tom Volker's uh, famous Swedish musician. And Volker's signed out in 1986, died of stomach ulcers. All right, would that cover the cast and crew? Uh, at least the most notable performances in the film. Music is done by Jan Johansson and Georg Riedel. Jan Johansson was one of the most respected and successful jazz players in Scandinavia. Studied music in Copenhagen with Stan Getz. 20 records, also known for being the first European ever to join jazz at the Philharmonic. Father of rock musicians Anders Johansson and Jens Johansson. Jan Johansson himself died in 1968 in a car crash on his way to a concert with boots on his legs. Then the Georg Riedel a Swedish double bass player and composer, best known for his work probably actually with Jan Johansson's record Jazz på svenska, or Jazz in Swedish. All right, goddammit, this was some intro, over a one hour long in our recording. So let's get to the film. Yeah, let's do it. So we have a startup scene with boats, or ships. The models and background projections are pretty cutesy. Yeah, I actually found them surprisingly effective even today. Okay, I thought I would hear you complaining about those for the entire episode. No, I I, I, am, I am most likely going to complain the entire episode, but it's entirely on the other points of the film. But, you know, my, my thoughts on the film aside, I must actually commend the, the Swedes for the fact that, and this film... For the fact that th- this is still a film from the time period when the children's entertainment was done with actors and was done with with a serious production in mind. Like, s- say what, what, what you will about Pippi and the Seven Seas, but with all its faults and all its problems, it is still acted. Someone built the sets, someone really did think about cinematography and stuff like that, and as such, it is infinitely more better than, for example, the later translations, which are those god-awful cartoons, which look like something that someone drew in five minutes. Yeah, and the world of Pippi is quite inventive, and it's kind of a word of hat-raising that they could pull off something like this in 1970 in Sweden. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. But then we pretty quickly, after the titles have gone away, got to Tommy and Annika, who were ready to go live with Pippi for three weeks. Okay, so this point. I probably haven't seen the entire original TV series, but 
as far as I remember, the relationship of Tommy and Annika's parents with Pippi were not exactly amazing all the time. And now they are really willing to give Tommy and Annika away for Pippi for three weeks. So this surprised me, or maybe I have forgotten already how the relations were. No, they, they weren't exactly enthusiastic about Pippi for the longest time, or at least not when they first met Pippi. Maybe there was something that happened in the ending of the TV series that then explains this. If I remember correctly, there most definitely was not. Uh-huh. In Instead, throughout the TV series, Pippi... I'm going off on memory here. It's been ages since I saw the TV series also. But if I remember correctly, throughout the TV series, Pippi repeatedly presented behavior that showcased exactly how negligent she was and led the group into situations that could be considered dangerous. So in this sense, you know, now here the parents being completely okay with leaving their children in the care of Pippi, who on top of that also is an underage little girl, is kind of a baffling. (laughs) It is, but here we start already with the complete fantasy elements. Apparently, though, father and mother of the family have figured out long ago that Pippi is kind of a girl that you don't really fuck with, so they'll be completely safe, or... Yeah, it... I remember that one of the common tropes which was used in the stories to explain exactly how the how the kids got away with everything was that was simply the fact that the parents did not believe the adventures and all that happened with Pippi. But of course this does not necessarily explain away all the instances that happens in Pippi stories. Because there are also events that are kind of extremely public and something that would most definitely be something that the parents would get aware of. Yep. Then we have finding of Pippi in the house when Tommy and Annika enter it and we figure out that she's coming right away with the flying bed, no less. So, yeah, we're in a complete fantasy land immediately. As far as I remember, these fantasy elements were not like outright shown very often in the TV series, but here it's in your face all the time. It's more about the stories of Pippi, of what has happened before. Of course, she lifts the horse every now and then, and stuff like this, and beats up people and throws heavy objects. But yeah, we have like a higher budget going on. There's a lot of back projections. And... Then we got to the finding of the bottle post message in a bottle. <laughs> Which, yeah, somehow manages to reach Pippi. Of course. Because Yeah, because of course the messages in a bottle actually work in real life. Yeah, they do here. Pippi's father is in trouble. His men have been trapped to an island. Father himself doesn't know where he is because he was blinded. And so there it goes. And as usual, the Pippi's character shows... She doesn't seem to be extremely disturbed about this news because she always knows she has a solution which will work. And she can always provide some solution. For example, providing sausage for his dad into the jail cell. Which also is stupidity on its finest in the film. (laughs) I think it's really funny. And we find out that the bad guys of the film are, well, Blutsvente and Jokkemet Niven and... There is the translation 
Jack the Knife in English. And then we have... Well, that's accurate. Yeah, guy is made of purely of knife. And then we have Blutsvente, or I think it's just Bloodsvente in English version. Yeah, hard to vouch for that, since basically the Scandinavian release of of Pippi does not have English audio or subtitles in it. Yep, and for obvious reasons, we then are requesting help from a magic crystal ball. Pippi can't quite remember the magic spell to activate the vision to see his father. And is it so that we never return to this magic crystal ball? It's just there to be a magic crystal ball that was kind of useless because they didn't get to get it to work? Uh, precisely that. The magic ball actually serves no purpose in the story the slightest. <laughs> yeah, there are things like this. And then Pippi, Annika and Tommy leave with the flying bed because that's what you do. There are some adversities with the weight of the device, so... Naturally, Pippi, no, just nonchalantly... No, no there, there, there actually is not. Well, no, there isn't, and just nonchalantly Pippi throws some two objects overboard and... Yeah, r- remove two sa- sandbags, and that is enough to fix the situation of the bed losing altitude. Yeah, go back to sleep. Notice how this is very integral to Pippi's character. He, she is never afraid of any situation, and she is always on the top of the situation even if she's not she can she can find a fix immediately no, notice how this is integral to the pippi stories altogether that there never is actual situations but this is totally not uncommon there are other examples well actually most of the time we could throw the goddamn james bond once again especially roger moore's james bond i'm sure we can find more which is commonly known as the Dark Age of James Bond. I guess it's the Pippi Longstrump Age of James Bond. What else is there? Come on. There there are plenty of characters that you know that they will never have any adversities. Yeah, and they are always extremely boring. Um, well, it depends. It de- I guess it depends on the other aspects of the character. For example, here we have some humor, just like Roger Moore. Yeah, whose Bond films I actually never was least bit worried for the safety of of Bond. Yeah, but that that kind of always was the blueprint of Bond. It it, it, it was it it, it kind of is since he he is a titular character and in the stat sense you always know that see he somehow has to pull it through. Yeah. To the end of any given story, but fucking Roger Moore. <laughs> took the cheap-shotting and shortcut-taking to the fucking extremes to a point where his films become a collection of moments in which you never actually feel any kind of excitement. Well, I can see where you're coming from. If you look at Connery, you know that he has the wit, and at least he has this shield that he always appears, that he has the situation under, under control. But... He necessarily doesn't. He just makes it appear as it is. Whereas Roger Moore perhaps took that to overboard. But actually, to be completely honest here, as we like to do, brutally honest, we have the goddamn shit show that is the diamonds are forever and exactly the same slapstick bullshit happens there as in the Roger Moore's early run, for example. So Bond is a that... super, superman that you cannot win. Yeah. 
and Pippi is a super girl and always calm and smiling in every situation, even at the face of adversity, has been blamed of being too reckless kind of a character also. And then there were the mental issues, claims, and vows to be a pirate in the end of the original book. You can kind of see that necessarily there wasn't like a amazing master plan for creation of Pippi Longstrom as in sending a very specific message. It was just a cute story. That it was, but I would say that at the same time you can make the case that when it comes to Pippi Longstocking stories, there never even was any kind of a narrative master plan in the sense of of what would happen in the story. Unfortunately, I haven't fully read the books, just some snippets here and there for as a preparation for this episode. But once again, these are some of the most respected children's books of all time. So there must be something there. Or, or then it just simply tells you something about the children's book market. <laughs> are you going to dump Init Plyton into the same can? Init Plyton is not as bad. Init Plyton at least had the effect on her side, the fact that, well, the characters in her stories, or at least in the famous five stories, which are the, basically the only books I've read from Plyton, the characters are human, and that plays very strongly to the stories, and in the end, the adversary they face throughout the stories. They, they were something that you can actually capture, kidnap, and someone's who you can physically threaten, and that kind of makes the troubles they face kind of more tangible, and I would say more exciting. But then we fly again, and we get stuck into a mountain <laughs> and um, we carry on from there there was a German TV version where there were added scenes not only on this first island but in several parts of the film it has a lot of scenes left out from the theatrical version so these are these are rare treats even for Swedes and there are about 15 or so added scenes or shots to mention one there is a scene Early on in Villa Kula, where the kids eat a whipped cream pie, Pippi tucks Mr. Nilsson to sleep, and Lilla Guppen the horse is horsing around in the yard. And that might be one of the biggest changes or scenes there is, and there's a lot of small clips here and there, changed or added along the way. We start to approach the pirate area. Uh, we get a glimpse of what's happening there in the meantime while, while Pippi and company are approaching. For me, I have to say immediately, which has bothered me with Pippi always, it's a mistake to make the pirates understand already that Pippi will be a proper adversary for them. Like, why are they not laughing at even the idea of Pippi coming to challenge them? It's kind of an odd choice. It would be more fun if it would be coming as a surprise to them that this girl has some superpowers and is going to beat up their bottoms. Yeah, well, I guess it's simply the fact that Pippi is worldwide known to be so omnipotent in everything that she does that basically there is no no person on planet Earth who wouldn't know Pippi, at least by her name. Pretty odd choice. If you want to read something into this, you could take it now that this was planned all along with female empowerment in mind. And everybody's going to bow to Pippi. 
because of that. Well, you know, simply the factor that Pippi is a little girl and she is the strongest person on the world and she is someone who is basically the active member of the story all the time. She is the one who drives the story forward. That in itself, in a way, is female empowerment. You don't actually have to find it from, you know, any deep metaphor or hidden symbolism from the story. Sure, sure. But this is like kind of putting it in overdrive once again. And also got quite tired, frustrated of the constant repetition of the father saying that uh, soon Pippi will come, you will see, and I will be saved. This goes on in at least 10 scenes or so it felt. So, so it does, so it does. Kind of emphasizing the abilities of Pippi before Pippi comes in to punch everyone out of commission. Which I don't know if it was needed. Of course, if you later on look at these absurdly non-choreographed fighting scenes with swords, and you could say that <laughs> they had a point there. Yeah, but at the same time, it kind of makes the scenes with the father kind of pointless. Because, like you pointed out, all the scenes with the father before Pippi finally finds him are simply rinse and repeat scenes where the where the two main pirates come to interrogate the father, and the father simply responds that Pippi is coming, and he's just gonna sit there and wait for his daughter to save him. And you know, it really has no proper function in the story. Especially with that many scenes, like that is something that, that you can cover with only one scene and never return to it, because nothing actually changes in the story. The, the problem is most notable in the first scene where the father actually confesses to the pirates that he has been sending out the, the bottle posts or the messages in the bottle. Yeah. And until that point, it has been something that the father has been able to do without the two main pirates knowing about it. This, even though they have that telltale parrot who is put into his cell simply to rat him out to the main pirates, but, you know, the parrot never makes a mentioning of this, so he has been able to do this covertly until this point, but now he openly confesses that he has been doing, sending out the messages in the bottle all this time to Pippi. Even after being aware of this fact, the pirates never try to do anything with the situation. They actually simply keep bringing him more bottles so that he can send even more messages out there. Not only that, but there are plenty of pacing issues with the film, which are most prominent when you have these sing-along tunes coming up. And they come at points where you already are kind of waiting for the scene to move on. For example, well, later in when Pippi is there and she's kind of starting to wreak havoc in the pirate community, and you're kind of expecting it to now get to the high point or the like the third act of the film, but then it's just another drunken pirate song and spending a lot of time in the well, things like that. There's a lot of scenes which feel like padding in this film. Mm-hmm. To get to the back to the timeline of our following of the film, then the flying with the self-made airplane from the island to the pirate island. So the film truly has no problem being completely absurd, and Pippi would work so well with current-day technology, I noted. 
when done right, I think Pippi should be remade during our wonderful CGI age. It would be the summer blockbuster, Henrik, movie of the year. But could be, could be. The fantasy elements are there, could be, when executed properly. I really don't see that one happening. It could be. And then we are going through the volcano. Was this the moment where Annika mentioned that uh, probably her mother would not be happy about this or her parents would not be too happy about something like this happening, going with a self-made plane through a volcano ash? Yeah. Which has no effect on the wooden-made plane, which shouldn't even be able to fly. Yeah. No, nor yes. the kids themselves, even though they actually, as be, as it's been shown, they uh, fly through the flames themselves. I noticed that there was flames in front of the back projection itself. Seems like interesting shooting going on there. Yeah, they they, they fly straight over an active volcano, and fucking nothing happens except their clothes get a little bit dirty. There's a little bit ash on their face, but that is all. That is all. Gentlemen, emergency landing on an island inhabited by a confused lion happens. And these random shots at the confused lion and just having these close-ups of the lion, it so smells like it was just some stock footage that, it, that was included. It, yeah, there. yeah, it's... I, I would almost make a hazard guess that they have taken it out of some nature documentary or something like that and copy-pasted it on the film. It could be, but then again, they did film the island scenes at Crane Beach in Barbados Island. It's this very famous bunch of islands that are kind of outside of Brazil. Taking that into account, maybe they went to some kind of a zoo or open park and took some filmography of dangerous snakes, alligators, and lions. All which actually kind of uh, promise you some adversity finally on this film, but as, as the scene plays out, you actually realize that the lion, the alligators, the snakes, basically all the wildlife, dangerous wildlife on the island is just, just complete cocktease. Yeah, and to ruin the film even further for you, it feels like when they are intercutting these dangerous animals there, and there's a shot of the kids going by the river on this small walking path, to me, when you, when you look at the nature, it very much look like, looks like this was shot in Sweden, and then the rest of the stuff is uh, in Barbados or stock footage. That very much could be. Well, they, they get to this island where Herr Nielsen, the monkey, is lost. It seemed very much to me that even the subtitler was unable to subtitle the line that Pippi mumbles when they're eating the banana. Talking about the book, How to Build a Raft. And they read about it, and of course Pippi, as a very resourceful young lady, starts to think about the raft, but actually she doesn't need to because the ship is approaching. This is the only thing that I kind of got confused in, in this film. Yeah, it cannot actually happen. So the crew arrives with the ship to this island, and they, the kids take control of that ship, and the crew stays on the island. Well, they have two or three boats that they could use to escape the island, but... Is this now the same group of people that are referenced to in the ending? And the dad saying that some asshole left my group on the island. So did Pippi do this? <laughs> it seemed like it. Uh, they are referenced in the ending when they are actually using the boats to row back to the island where Blood Svente and Jack the Knife are. 
Mm-hmm. There, there is that one shot of them on the rowboats. Yeah. At the kind of a very end part of the film. So maybe Pippi didn't do this for the crew. Uh, no, the dad's sailors, the ones who were left stranded to, on the island, the, the five of them, the yellow shirts, they have been left there by, by the mutinous Jack the Knife and Blood Svente. And the rest of the dad's crew who who started a mutiny and joined with the pirates. Then we are back at the jail cell, and this will, ha- will happen as mentioned many, 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 many times. There's a very important line from one of the baddies who says to Pippi's father that it just won't do that Pippi would come there, because that would just not do, man. And then we get to the next scene. Island with wild animals is bothering Pippi and the group. Pippi shoots once, problem solved, go back to sleep. And so Pippi investigates the nearby ship. Water stars warming with plastic sharks. They coax the boat crew to the island. And Pippi is screaming for Oscar in a truly creepy voice. They take over one small boat, take over the ship. And uh, first kind of very clear instance, or actually there's been several already, of how this film and how this story and Pippi Longstrom stories in general make adults look like complete idiots. And on the ship, they are adult enough to wash their clothes. Pippi takes the pirate clothes and there's the awkward dubbed ha-ha voice on Pippi, which I guess in the 70s nobody noticed. Different kind of human species. I, I, I would believe everybody noticed, nobody just cared. <laughs> I guess. Then we have a pirate song, just to slow down the film a little bit. I thought it was unnecessary because it's not really driving the plot forward. Yeah, well, that goes basically with all the songs in the film. Yeah, this this goes for children's films in general. When when I do not approve at all of the sing-alongs or the songs in between the film is when the song itself is not driving the story forward at all. For example, let's go with, I don't know, Lion King. As far as I can remember, like all the songs support the story extremely hugely. They do. They they do. So there you don't feel extremely awkward listening to the song. Now we're approaching Porto Piluse. Tommy goes to the shore first, followed by Annika and Pippi. Uh, Annika and Tommy's mom would not like A. Flying through volcanoes. And for B. Drinking with pirates. So those are off limits, just so you know. And we meet Marco who speaks Swedish somewhere near the Barbaros or wherever they are on the map in this film. This waiter, the Marco, is being bothered by pirates. And then the owner who kicks him. I have to say that all of these kind of stunt-ish moments are done super softly. There's barely any contact with anybody. There they could have made more effort. I don't know, did they have even one single choreographer around? But yeah, this is the moment where Pippi also throws Pedro and Franco, the pirates, out of the windows with the superhuman abilities. And we meet Platzvente. Sword fight ensues. Amazing choreography. Annika falls in love with, with Marco, or so it seems. And I tried to Google, but my Googling started to suggest that it seems the language that they use at the island is total gibberish. A very old language indeed. They are hiding in the cannons that are to be fired. Bad, bad. 
Pippi shoots the pirate flag, pirates get alarmed. And at this point, father is in tears, losing faith on Pippi's arrival, crying. Could we get this guy a Razzie award, please? Or maybe not, he's already gone, so... But terrible when actors don't put in the effort when they're in a children's film. That's how, that's the feeling that I get here. Like, let's just put some half-assed baked effort here. Or if they try to simplify their character and its emotions too much. That's that's when I, I am bleeding my eyes out. Time for some pirate song. Slowing down the film like crazy at the worst moment when this is totally not needed. Slowing down the confrontation. Confrontation as mentioned. And the kids get some meat at night to eat in the well. Maybe a scene you wouldn't see in today's children's films. I, I don't know. For, for me, this was the scene that for a moment I actually thought that the kids would finally meet an obstacle. Since when they are in the, in the well, Annika starts to get, get hungry and I was expecting that she would actually have to champion through it and stomach her hunger for at least a couple of hours. And that would have actually finally been some kind of obstacle in the film, something that would give them some adversity. But as it plays out, you know, no obstacle needed because Pippi can immediately go out and steal a couple of pieces of meat for them. Well, as far as adversities goes, this is probably the high point in that sense. Or the scene where Annika and Tommy are inside the cannon probably for hours, just waiting for Pippi to do her thing. Probably hungry and bored out of their mind. Not scared, because it's Pippi. But yeah, just being in this damp well, in a dirty water, which really looks dirty, and eating some pirate's meat bones. That sounds weird. And then they escape when everyone's sleeping or drunk, and we make Chuck the Knife, or Niv Jokke. The Jokke Uta Niv when Pippi takes it from him. Finally, Pippi and Papa are together. Jokke Utaniv is freaking out about his knife that is lost, finally finds the knife, completely ignores the escape of Tommy, Annika and Pippi and the barrels, because that is extremely hard to notice, because you can always put it on the fact that you are kind of still drunk. Dumbest pirates ever put on screen, Henrik? Pretty much, yeah. Also, this is the point or the the moment when Pippi meets her father. It's it the film finally reaches the point where the film goes on simply because Pippi refuses to break her father free and sneak him out of the island, and simply I- instead of that, you know, starts bringing him food and stuff like that, which is the basically the o- only reason why the story and the film still drags on. And it truly truly does drag on in these moments when they reach this island and then try to get him out. That's taking too damn long in this film. Especially since you realize that Pippi could could have simply broken him out of the jail cell where he is being kept during their first meeting. I know, I was kind of waiting that, okay, now it's going to start to move forward and the uh, escape line goes into motion if if any but no we wait for the next hideout for or the next cell for papa downstairs and then pippi finds or decides to use the explosives so, so someone looked at the watch and saw that there's still half an hour film to be made so we couldn't resolve the conflict at this point not yet 
Yeah, we, we had to make sure for SF that we make it the correct length. The guard then thinks that uh, Papa is cracking because he is not eating anymore because he got some food from Pippi, but they don't know that. They think he's simply cracking. Not, they find food. Which the father took such of a care of hiding, especially seeing that uh, <laughs> the, the ratting parrot is still, still on his goddamn cell. Indeed so, and there's a new message in a bottle, which is now found outside of this island, right there. And they will move farther underground, Pippi plans for the explosion, Pippi uses the explosives. It's Jokke who's afraid of thunder, and yeah. the pi pirates mix the sound of Pippi using gunpowder to set up explosions to the sound of thunder. Yeah, of course, makes perfect sense. As one does, as one does. Especially as a pirate. And the thunder is Pippi with her explosives indeed, and the pirates come to see Papa, and they try to tickle the answer out of him successfully too. Might try that with Henrik whenever I suppose that he's giving some suspicious verdicts in this podcast, but it's not going to work when we are miles away. Thank God! <laughs> <laughs> Pippi tries to tell a story, but no one can hear it because of explosions. Ha ha ha. I, I was actually happy that we didn't have to hear Pippi's funny story. And they get the answer out of Papa, and then there's the escape, finally. Pippi breaks the chain with her superpowers, which looks like a plastic ball, actually. Uh, Marco gets the money from Pippi to leave the pirate island, and simply leaves it his father, or anyway, the, the restaurant owner is left hanging and left to rot in the bar. Pippi has a sword fight once again, and they leave with the ship, and Pippi just makes the notion that you should like, you should like screw-ups. And they do indeed note on the island that they do shoot like screw-ups. And they do, and Pippi and company escape. Well, we are on the ship with the papa, or the father, trying to arrive to the treasure before Jack the Knife and his gang are coming. And... This is the perfect moment when we just had a moment of excitement. It's the perfect moment to put in once again another song. A Pippi C song. Slowing the movie down once again. Massive pacing issues. Father says that some savage left his crew on an island. And the next morning, approaching island. Pirates approaching too. Gripstone cave. Apparently there is the treasure then, which they find. This is kind of cut in a funny way, so you're kind of left to put the things together. But it seems kind of clumsy on the film, because you don't see everything, except stock footage of sharks and stuff. And see how Pippi is somehow able to speak underwater. Oh my god, that was kind of stupid. Well, Annika and Tommy are running away from the pirates, but they get caught by the pirates, of course. And then the ship flag Hurken, is it? Something like that. It's taken over by a long stocking screw, so the pirates have no ship, but they have the kids. So then the How to Build Your Own Raft book is left for the pirates. So yeah, at this point, the plot kind of a once again goes kind of a hard to follow. Pippi and her father does indeed arrive to the island, where her father originally has hidden the treasure. And apparently this is the same island where the pirates and the mutinous seamen 
originally left the members of Pippi's father's crew who refused to take part in the mutiny and and they were left stranded on the same island where the treasure is buried. Yeah, weird. But apparently Pippi's father is comple- has completely forgotten this little point since they make no effort whatsoever to contact this left stranded members of the crew. Instead they go straight for the treasure, manage to find it, <laughs> and pr- bring it to the ship, leaving Annika and Tommy now on the island, even though they all know that the pirates are actually heading the same way, and there is the risk that the pirates might actually reach the island while Annika and Tommy are still there, and that is what happens. The pirates take Annika and Tommy as prisoners and demand that the treasure to be handed to them in exchange for Annika and Tommy. Pippi and her father accept the trade, but during the same time the left stranded crew manages to uh, take notice of the pirate ship and they uh, manage to reach it and take control of it now leaving the pirates in turn stranded on the same goddamn island and at this point Pippi uses the once mentioned how to build your own raft book and the axe they found on the ship to and trades them for the two treasure chests. Showcasing you how much profit you can you can make once you seize the means of production. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that's that's great. Yeah, there is a there is a lot of back and forth for basically each group for getting something and focusing simply on the treasure. Pippi's father refu- uh, forgets his own crew or the me- members of the crew who stayed loyal to, to to him during the original mutiny. And simply focuses on the treasure. Pippi focuses simply on the treasure and forgets Annika and Tommy. And the pirates focus on the treasure and completely forget their own ship. Yeah, once you get rid of the support for an economical system, then you just are left with eating your gold treasures. Because nobody accepts them and they amount to nothing. But model father says he will not follow them back to Villa Kulla. Because he has some better time at the sea, so forget about taking care of still a kid. Just that this is kind of anticlimactic to me. He just simply says that, thank you for rescuing me. I couldn't have done it without you. And they part ways after this. Yeah, as one does. Most certainly. I would do the same thing. Most likely, yeah, so so would I. But I, I guess the society would condemn me for doing it. Well, yeah, I don't know really because don't have my own children. Time will tell if I will have. Most likely won't. If I if I ever leave wife and kids and go on my own way, I I I already grant myself the right to use the excuse I learned it from Pippi. Yeah, I I learned it from Henrik that with Henrik it's always possible to expect the unexpected. You grow up kids, you leave them in the house to live their own lives and. While you go do whatever, you are pretty unpredictable in that way. I could see you doing <laughs> these kind of stunts. <laughs> Just one day there is no Henrik anymore. Where's Daddy? <laughs> Where's Daddy? <laughs> but yeah, one of the last quotes is something along the lines of Even I don't know if this trip was real. What if I made it all up? Meaning, if Peppy made it all up. And they kind of laugh it off. Even though 
Pippi is known for her lying. This time though, I guess it was more than a dream. Maybe this was a dream. Thank God they don't show it at the end. Yeah, I, I, I guess someone had read the Philip K. Dick's book, We Can Remember It For You, wholesale. And they get, they get the exact same plot point that was used also in Total Recall. Maybe it was a dream all along. Halloween 2, 2009. Well, anything on trailers, toys, posters, books, other magic stuff, games. Well, well there is the Pippi Longstrom video game, of course. Released for the Mega Drive, just in time before it was going to go out of fashion. In this game you start with the 2D platformer of Villa Kula and you get a horse lifting energy, which is practically kind of life energy in the game. By beating up enemies of Tommy and Annika, you get more of this horse lifting energy power. And then you arrive to the ship and have to steer it as, of course, Pippi, avoiding ghosts in the water. And it's kind of a boring, but then you get to challenge the pirates on the ship and on the island. So it gets to be kind of a more tropical Sonic the Hedgehog type of a 2D adventure from the side. And the baddie is actually Pippi's father, who has gone berserk. And he's like the uh, Dr. Robotnik at the end. Makes a hell of a lot of sense. Yeah. There is, there is also that uh, 3DS game, which was released in 2012, but I have always refused to play it. So I don't actually know what it's all about, but it from the screenshot, it looks like some kind of a 3D adventure game. Oh, really? But just just to point to our listeners that this game that I just described does not really exist, but it could be fun to try. Just fucking with Henrik as usual. See, this is this this is where you notice which one is the one who comes to this podcast <laughs> with facts. <laughs> well, Pippi, most definitely. You you have to admit that Pippi does have a legacy. Like that that is something that Pippi definitely left behind her a legacy. And Astrid Lindgren's stories all together are some something that that are still very prominently known and remembered. So you could say that Lindgren herself left pretty huge a legacy. She did. She has said of Pippi that it was kind of the character and the overall story was kind of showing as the other stories that she has created the kind of childish side of her and the pretty good understanding of what it is to be a child. This could be because, as far as we know, Astrid Lindgren did have a very beautiful childhood with no big problems, playing a lot with her friends around and really having a great childhood and therefore this kind of proper memories of what it is to be a child. Clear memories. Yeah, also as, uh, Pippi especially was also a character that Lincoln has stated was created as as a kind of a counterbalance for the emotional anguish and this misanthropic emotionally stunned age which followed the Second World War. Indeed, written around the Second World War. Yeah, that, that, that was the time period when Lincoln was developing the character. And you can kind of see that counteract in Pippi, who 
uh, unlike the time period and the emotional state that the world was in during that time, Pippi herself, on the other hand, is cheerful and actually quite pacifistic as a character. There, there is kind of this, there is this goodness and generosity, and she meets everything with, with a sense of humor. Yep. But what do you think is the actual appeal of Pippi Longstocking? Why, why has it lasted so long? Well, I would say that it has a lot of colorful stories, kind of a free your mind type of approach. You know, everything, he, she just lets everything to happen. And I would agree with one comment that Astrid Lindgren was a master of building excitement around uh, some subject and have to hand it for her for good writing. As far as I have read her works. I, on the other hand, have to come to this point from a different angle. Because I'm, I'm someone who never really got into Lindgren's stories. I, I, I tried the email. I did try Pippi Longstocking. And neither one of those never worked for me. And I, I would say in both cases, it's, the, it's kind of the... It's kind of because I never felt that there was actually any obstacle in the stories for the characters to overcome. Especially in Pippi stories, which are just a combination of events. Something that happens, but nothing that would ever actually challenge the character in any way. And that is kind of my main problem also with this film. Yeah, it feels feels too safe. Yeah, It, it, it feels too safe. Like, everything simply just works. Alright, I guess we get to further analysis in the quick categories. So, favorite performance? Well, uh, might be a bit of a cliche, but I will go with Inger Nilsson, who oh, I, I think still quite well embodied the character of Pippi. Even though I might not like the character, but, you know, still, I, I, I think... Nielsen is the one who shines through the most. Yeah, she really truly is Pippi. She really kind of captures that, what I get from the books as well, that this carefree character that that just smiles in the face of adversity, which is still what the Pippi character is about, and she um, embodies it perfectly. I'm often astonished uh, about her performance, that she can keep it going, seems to have great energy for this character. Perhaps this is the nature of Inger Nilsson and therefore works. Overall, the child actors in the film are actually yeah. quite astonishingly good. They are, yeah. Yeah, in, in some cases they are even better than the adult actors. Oh yeah, especially when we have these characters that are kind of seeming to not play it as well as they would play it in an adult play. Because why would you make the effort? Because it's a children's film. And it kind of shows through. And it is such of a shame, because at the same time, when it comes to the production side of the film, like sets and locations, and them actually using using actual camera trickery to sell the illusion, there you can actually see people putting on the effort. And at the same time, these scenes are also followed with some actors who at times apparently are not putting the, putting the same effort as, for example, the set designers are putting up simply because, well, hey, we are making a children's film. Yeah, of course the script is all also what it is, and 
doesn't give you that much maneuvering when there are silly lines like Oh, now I'm not anymore. Jack the knife because I don't have my knife. And that was a bit of an awkward moment for me as an adult anyway. That was, yeah. I, I kind of feel bad for the actor on that. Yeah. But yeah, well, it seems that the kids just have this natural chemistry about them that just works and it just helps the performance that much. Alright, favorite scene? I guess that would be the opening maritime battle. Okay. That was also the scene for me which best put me into this film. Like I, I, I was actually rooting for the film during that opening fight. I got my kicks when something actually started to happen in the film. And uh, Pippi, well, didn't show her anger, but showed her strength and understanding what what would be the best situation to do here, which is, of course, to throw Pedro and Franco out of the window. So that's my favorite scene. Favorite quote? Kind of hard to answer, since there is no English translation here, here and we kind of have to... We have to go with Swedish dialogue, Finnish texting, and then simply roughly translate it to English. But, so I, I don't know if I get this right, but maybe the moment when Jack the Knife opposes on Pippi coming to the island and states that she can't come here because that simply won't do. Oh god, yeah. I would just go with... I'm so fucking tired and sick of that goddamn song. Like that, that was one of those songs that you basically sang in every daycare center in Finland when you were a kid. And it, it wasn't a good song even when you were a kid and it has aged even worse. Yeah, I think we in childhood had have had an overdose of this song. Most definitely. Or at least I did. Still can't actually listen to the song today. Favorite kill? Which there is none. God damn. In a pirate film. Yep. Yeah, there, there, there is that one dude who died in the cave off screen. The fucking skeleton that they find. I, I guess that's as good pick as any. Well, I have no idea if this character reappears here, but they do throw overboard when they take control of the ship they threw overboard this one guy in a heavily shark infested area this guy so i'm just going to assume that he died then or maybe like pippi states at the end of the film it was just a beautiful dream yeah <laughs> have you been inside Kluben? the hell is Kluben? it's the hartwell arena of stockholm no happily missed that one i was so guns and roses there in 2006 what else? I, I don't know which part I should be more worried about. Or, or, you know, more sorry about. The continuation part of this story, Henrik. Which is, I went to the Gluben. Just when they let us in, I could see nowhere inside a place where to leave my huge bag. So I figured I'm never going to get into the front if I don't throw this bag behind a curtain in this general area of the Gluben. But so we went into the arena itself, had the two and a half hours of fun, I came out, and I heard that I have I had actually made a bum bum problem inside Gluben. 
They inspected my bag and they didn't find any bomb, just some dirty clothes. So yeah, the guy who made the, unbeknownst to him, the bomb threat inside Kluben. Accidental terrorist. <laughs> yeah. Like that, that is going to be the name of your memoirs if you ever write them. On a hindsight, what a fucking idiot idea to leave it there. But hey, I wanted to get into the front, and I did. Uh, at least it was in safekeeping. Yeah, great memories. First image that comes to mind. It would be in the airplane scene, that one, uh, the shot when they filmed the plane from the front and Pippi is standing <laughs> on top of the plane. I know exactly what you mean, yeah. Yeah, hell on. Just a scene where Pippi is singing a song and taking control of the helm during nighttime. And which image best exemplifies this film for Henrik? Uh, I would say to, to stay on stay on the airplane theme, it, it would be the scene when they fly through the active volcano. <laughs> like, like the, the, there, there you see the non-excitement of the film. I was worried for the kids because they actually had real flames inside the studio, so... Well, yeah, like I said, it, 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 is the, it is the scene that best exemplifies the film because in that moment the actors themselves were more in danger than the characters throughout the film. Like the behind the scene stuff was more exciting than the on screen stuff. Yeah, I think the self made airplane is like the high point of absurdity of this film, if I can think of something right now. And Pippi kicking with her legs, the propeller, to keep it floating just a little bit more. And that's the best exemplifying moment. Or it could be also the volcano, but I'm picking something else. What took you out? It would be the same goddamn scene with them flying through the Acta volcano. I was struggling with the film up until that point, because right from the get-go, the film actually starts to showcase you that they don't face any adversity throughout their adventure, they only meet situations. They end up in situations which they immediately kind of recover from with no hardship whatsoever. Yeah. And, yeah, and to me that is maybe best kind of a, comes to full fruition in the moment when they fly through, through goddamn flames. And no one even breaks a sweat. It's kind of the same same kind of a situation like right on the next scene when they have crash landed the plane on top of a goddamn mountain. The mountain is steep as hell and they simply walk away without any hardship at all. Yeah, that's kind of where the production scope shows itself. I, I would say that is where the nature of Pippi's story show themselves. Also, I'm crediting this one to the nature of Astrid Lindgren's fiction. Do you think this was kind of pre-planned? Oh, of course it was, but in also in the sense that maybe in the 1940s or even in the 1970s they thought that this would make the film too violent or too distracting for young kids if they would actually face any adversities. Maybe? Maybe, or maybe it's, like you stated, simply Lindgren herself wanting to kind of uphold that childish naivety, where you you have all these imaginary adventures in your head, and 
everything simply works because you create the adventure in your head and you want to be the best in everything in those adventures. Mm. But still, even as a fucking kid, this was something that really kind of kept me away from from Pippi and other stories by Lindgren. Yeah, compared to Moomin or something, it's completely different. Yeah, e- even compared to Moomin, in Moomin they do face actual hardships. Yeah, and they make it into a life lesson. They they do. They have to take steps backwards. And of course, part of the this might be, you know, due to me screwing up my own childhood. I I never really got into Pippi books when I was at the right age. When I originally learned to read, I quite immediately went with Enid Blyton's Famous Five, from which I... Same. Transformed into the three, uh, the three detectives, and from there I I shifted to horror with Strange Case of Doctor Jekyll and and after that you know to H.P. Lovecraft. And once you are reading stuff with alien tentacle gods and the over-encompassing horror of of existence and follow stories where the entire world is engulfed by forces beyond the human capacity to understand, it is kind of a hard to fall back into, into Pippi stories. So that, of course, may be a major factor in, in why I always felt kind of alienated from Lindgren's fiction. But goddammit, the lack of hardship really always bugged me. You're actually making a good point here. There there are some of these children's stories that are just too lightweight, Pippi Longstrom being one of them. If you put them against something like H.P. Goddamn Love, Lovecraft, then I can see perfectly where you're coming from with this example, you know, because this Hesla Hesla Hobson Sass stuff from the beginning to end, very cheery, uh, shiny, easygoing, kind of a flat, if you will, if you read something like what you have read. What took me out was the constant pondering of the father if Pippi is going to come or if she's not going to come and wasting too much time at the island during the rescue mission. Yeah, so. it was excruciating actually, you know. The constant goddamn padding which was so obvious with the father. What pulled you in? Um, It, it was that uh, opening maritime battle. It might be from my end, it might very much be the fact that I simply appreciated the effort they put up on that scene. And I, I simply enjoyed the fact that I knew I was watching a children's film that was acted, which had sets built for it, and we, which used projection to sell you sell you the, the story, sell you the illusion. And this simply wasn't one of those later days animated features. But yeah, the opening maritime battle. I, I would say that is the best highlight scene of the film. Scissors of Sacrilege. What would you change in the film? I would kind of take the entire film back to the drawing board and simply write it again from the get-go. Remove all the padding and actually put some stuff into it. Like faster pace? Faster pace, for starters, I, I would also put some hardship. I, I, if I would be allowed to touch 
simply one scene. I guess I would take the scene when they are hiding in the well and Annika is starting to yeah, yeah, yeah. Play, cry out that she's hungry. And then Pippi would simply, you know, state, state to her that, yeah, well, no can do it. Now you have to actually, actually stomach the hunger for at least two hours that the pirates will go to sleep. Or, or maybe I would, I, I would mess with the part when Pippi finally finds her father and I would make Pippi break her father out of the jail cell immediately and not to patch the story even further with, you know, Pippi bringing her father the food instead of breaking him out. Yeah, I pretty much agree with everything you just said. Most of all, the well scene is kind of baffling for me because you just have built the excitement of the confrontation and then they just skip the confrontation for a couple of hours and stay in the well. Yeah. Yeah, could have just gone full force from then on. But, you know, gotta keep padding. I suppose. And I guess I would try to make it look a little bit more organic still because it feels so back projectory the movie that i would try to do something i don't know how that would happen but it for example during the choreography like sword fights you know there's a noticeable lack of excitement there because it's just Pip belongs to doing the same movement with sword as is the opponent yup you, you you can see that in 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 those sword fights, they have been simply given like like two horizontal lines. <laughs> you you swing it on this line, and Pippi swings it on this line, and then they will collapse. And they are simply banging the two swords together. And ask him before shooting from Pippi, are you sure this will go alright? Are, are you sure that this will not hurt you in any way during the shooting? Yup. So yeah, that's the that's the thing. This feels too securely done which i kind of forget since you are making film with child actors and and of course you have to put the safety first in those circumstances but at the same time you yourself made the knowing choice that you are going to make a pirate adventure film like if you wanna be that safe why take pirate genre indeed this was kind of uncharted waters here we are getting into the pirate mode and seems like they weren't completely prepared, to say the least. You're really now you're watching Pippi for the Who Haven when you get cocktisk by a goddamn lion. <laughs> I, I, I swear to God, this this film podcasting is turning me into a goddamn furry. You really know you're watching Pippi for the Who Haven when you see the kids flying on a self-made airplane through a volcano. Cannot be understated. And did you look at the watch? During the film. I did. I did extremely lot, actually. I I tried my best to fight against the urge to start checking my watch, but you know, once once we reached the airplane, the self-made airplane, that that was the moment when I finally clocked out with the film, and and after that, it was every now and then just me checking how long I still have to go on. Yeah, the same thing happened for me, most definitely. At least I remember doing that when they got to the pirate island to save the daddy. That went on just way too long. Yeah, and you notice that the sentries on the island, the grown-up pirates were even more blind than the guards in first Metal Gear Solid games. Huh? But tell me, what are your three adjectives to describe the film? Let me see. 
what would the word actually be piracy when there is a lot of pirates in a film? Then it's piracy, right? I'll go with that. And imaginative, safe. I'm 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 with you on on the safe. And my other two would be colorful and cheery. Okay. The drum roll is here. Pippi in the South Seas, 1970. Henrik, would you recommend this film? I've been dreading this question because to my sorrow and, you know, apologies beforehand for for all our listeners, but I wouldn't recommend this film. <gasps> yeah, I, I I know I it's it's kind of a mean to come out of the bushes and start hitting hitting a children's film and I, I do ac- acknowledge that I'm not the target audience I never was. Now I'm kind of a too grown up maybe even for Pippi fiction. Was it even back as a kid in a sense? But you know, I remember being even more critical against children's stories when I was a child. But yeah. Yeah. I try to balance it. I, I try to be more accepting as I grew older and in a way I actually do manage it. But when it comes to Pippi, when it comes to this film, the the lack of opposition, the lack of hardship, it has always bugged me. It still bugs me. It bugs me in this film. And I I think that there is so much more better films to, you know, to even for kids. You can defend this film by saying that it is a children's film and therefore, of course, there is going to be problems in it. But but there still are children's films that has an actual actual struggle in them. Like, watch, watch Treasure Island. Watch, watch the old Disney classics. God damn it, watch, watch Star Wars. Th- those were the stuff which I was brought up as a kid and... And I grew up as an emotionally dead human wreck who contemplates on suicide every five seconds, so what could go wrong? But skip Pippi. Oh, goodness. Such confessions here. Would I recommend this Pippi? As mentioned ad nauseum in this podcast, I do raise my hat for the ingenuity and imagination of Astrid Lindgren, I believe, from where all of this is basically coming from. That said, the film is not put together in the best possible way, to say the least. As an adult, anyway, it does not fly through with flying colors because it truly does take its damn time and slows its pace on several occasions in the places where it definitely should not do that. And I'm not even going to count the technical side very much here because we know that this is kind of an achievement that we have this much special effects in a children's film in 1970s witch film. But uh, it falls flat for me in in the pacing so much. Perhaps some of the humor also falls flat in places. The humor that actually has been said as something that both, the, the well, the entire family can relate to it. At times, yeah, there are some really funny moments sometimes, but doesn't always work. And seeing how much you could do with this kind of ideas, with a better direction, better screenplay, better actors, frankly. Not talking about the kids right now. Yeah, the kids do the best job here. But w- yeah, th- with these ideas you could put something better together. 
And with that said, if you want to watch Pippi Longstrump, go watch the original TV series. I think it will be more balanced, it kind of understand its borders a little bit better. So, no recommendation from here, either. Apologies to all Pippi fans. Once again, that is not to say that I don't generally like the concept of Pippi, because you could do with a lot of things here. Speaking of interesting plot deliveries in children's films, The Flight Before Christmas from Finland, or Niko Lentäjänpoika, as we know it. Oh boy, I guess we should cover this film in this podcast, because it is the most absurd, it kind of kills itself in the third act. As as many, many Finnish children's films tend to do, or Finnish cinema in itself. But you know, hey, one international episode is down once again. Only a few to go, like half. So looking forward to it. We have done Pippi. You don't have to worry about it anymore. I, I'm I'm actually very relieved and happy to leave Pippi behind me. We pulled it through. And next episode is Emil. The people I have to call friends. <laughs> Where you can find us online? Well, that would be the deepest levels of hell. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. What is our next film? I don't know. The world of Kyrgyzstan, part of our international cinema episode. The adopted son. It's not my son. Hope to see you then. No, it's uh, my son. Lanko, uh, I'm I'm way too young and way too stubborn to become a dad. <laughs>